0: All right, well, good morning. Welcome to the jar. We're glad that you're uh, here today. And uh, thank you in advance for uh, giving for uh, the hurricane uh, response. Uh, We know that Convoy of Hope is a great uh, organization that will impact many lives. And people in Florida and Texas and uh, in Puerto Rico will be impacted because of you. You may never know them on this side of heaven, but one day in heaven, uh, you will know. And they'll be grateful to you. Uh, for what you were willing to give. Well, just a few years ago when I was a teenager, uh, maybe not so much, thought you'd laugh that one though, Uh, I went on a canoeing trip with a whole bunch of teens to Illinois, uh, southern Illinois, and a buddy of mine, whose name was Chris as well, uh, he went with me and we went ahead and we get in this canoe together and we're Canoeing and we're having fun, or splashing each other. It was a great time. And you know, two boys in a canoe always want to ratchet things up a little bit more. And so uh, we decided that we would actually get on top of the canoe and jump off. And so uh, we come up with this big plan called the one, two, three plan that one, two, three on three, you jump. So I get on one side of the canoe, uh, he gets on the other side of the canoe. And we get ready to start the plan. One, two, and Chris jumps off at two. I didn't say he was a smart friend. I just said he was a friend, okay? So on two, he jumps. Well, I stick to the plan. And I go, one, two, three. On three, I get ready. But when he jumped, the canoe went up. And then when I jumped, it came back. And somehow I got hit in the head and I fell into the water. Well, luckily, I had my life jacket on. But when I fell in the water, my head was face down in the water. And I blacked out. I don't even know what happened. And pretty soon, the next thing I knew, there was an adult chaperone who had grabbed me from the back, was dragging me towards the canoe, and he looked up at me, and or I looked at, uh, up at him, and he goes, Are you okay? I said, Yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, I know how to swim. I don't need anybody to save me. And then he looked, and he said... Well, you just blacked out, and your canoeing day is over. And that was it. You know, I was thinking about that story this week, and I was laughing about doing something dumb as a teenager. But then, all of a sudden, I started thinking about that phrase that I said, I don't need someone to save me. And the reality is, is that I'm not a good judge of when I need to be saved Or when I don't. I'm just not a good judge of knowing that. I let things like pride get in my way. I mean, I might need to get saved by something, or I need saved from something, but I'm not a good judge of that. This morning, what I want to talk about is the fact that Jesus comes to save people. But sometimes... It might come as a surprise, and we might not think that we need it, that we don't need to be saved. Now, we have been talking throughout this series, Stuff Happens, about the fact that as human beings, we have a tendency to think that we are in control, that we're in charge, that we are in control of our lives. But the reality is we're not. Stuff happens. And when it happens to us, it just does. So today, what I want to talk about is the most important thing that can happen to anyone, and that is grace happens. Grace happens to us. And I want to talk about the fact that grace happens to us, and then give you an opportunity at the end of the celebration to maybe decide For the first time, or maybe you've been coming to church and you've just never made a decision to make a commitment to be saved. Now, to begin with, I want to talk about this uh, word grace by giving you a definition, kind of our working definition. It will come up on the side screen. This is your first fill-in. You can do it on the app or in your program. And here's our definition of grace, our working one for today. Receiving a wonderful gift you don't deserve. Receiving a wonderful gift that you don't deserve at all. Not at all. So fasten your seatbelts because we want to look at a scripture verse that focuses in on this concept of grace. And this is what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This does not come from you. Let me say this again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This does not come from you. It is the gift of God. In other words, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do enough things to get it. You can't clean your act up first to get it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This does not come from you. It is the what? What's it say? It's a gift, not of works. So that no one can boast. Now, you may have noticed uh, when you walked in today that we have this ladder here. And uh, Americans love ladders. In fact, almost every single household uh, in the United States has ladders. Uh, did you know that a million ladders were sold last year? You know, I, I have very little time to do anything else. I have a lot of time on my hand, you know, to, to have these pointless kind of statistics. But about a million ladders are purchased uh, each year. And the purpose of a ladder is that there are two directions that you can use when coming to a ladder. And what are those directions? Look at that. Some of you hesitated, you know. No, you're smart. You can do it, okay. You either go up the ladder or you go down the ladder. Just kind of two ways. And today, I want to talk about two different ways in your life, two different ways that you can live your life, two different ways that you can save your life. One of them is based upon performance, that you simply have to continue to perform, and Paul calls this works. In that scripture he says it's not by works, it's not by performance that you do this. So one is performance, and the other is this concept of grace. Just as there are two ways to this ladder, up or down, there are two ways that you can live your life, either choosing to live your life by your performance or to live with grace. And the concept of being saved by grace is key. Now, this word saved is a unique word, and a lot of times as we Uh, go through church world, that word saved can be a scary word. Uh, My dad uh, was a pastor for many years, and uh, we would use that word saved, and it was just a different culture, and so whether it was him or other churches that we would go to, they would often do something like this, are you ready to be saved? And people would sit there and they would like go, whoa, I don't know what that means, and so people would get scared of it. But you don't need to be word of that, you don't need to be scared of that word saved. It's actually a wonderful word, and this is what it means. it'll come up on the side, sc- side screen. To be rescued, to be healed, to be made whole. And I need that. I really do. I need to be rescued from my pride. I need to be healed, From my loneliness, I need to be healed from my guilt, I need to be healed from my regrets, I need to be healed from my fear of death, of my fear that there might not be a purpose or meaning for my life. My life is incomplete, and so therefore, I need to be made whole, and we all long for that. Every single person here loves when we're rescued, when we're healed, when we're made whole. Now, one of the common ways we try to kind of save our lives is by saying, my existence, if I'm going to prove it, I have to have a ladder of success. And so we put success on the top rung of the ladder, and then we spend our life climbing to try to get to that point. Just climbing, climbing, climbing. And After a while, it could be success or we want to impress other people and so we want to impress them so we start climbing to try to impress who they are. And if you climb long enough, you try to get your kids to climb. But you get smaller ladders and you try to tell them, hey, you can do this. Uh, Keep climbing. Do a little bit more. You'll be a smarter kid. Folks, it's It's very interesting to me, but we are a nation of climbers. In the United States, more people go to the big, uh, you know, mountains, Mount McKinley, Mount Kilimanjaro to climb than any other nation because we love to climb. And we are constantly doing that. Why? Because we want to satisfy our egos. Now, there was some research done around this question. the question will come up on the side screen. Do you consider yourself to be a very important person? Okay? So, do you consider yourself to be a very important person? They asked this question in 1950 and in 2005. In 1950, uh, there were 12% of the people who said, I'm a very important person. Now, what I'd like you to do is take a moment, look to the person beside you, and guess whether or not that number went higher or lower in 2005, and what was the percentage, okay? Did it go higher or lower? What was the percentage that you consider yourself a very important person? Okay, the correct answer for 2005, which would probably be higher now, but it was 80%. So 80% of us consider ourselves very important people, and we want our kids to be very important people. I was at a swim meet yesterday, and uh, there were all these kids swimming all over the place, and I'm cheering for my daughter, and other people are cheering for their kids, and you know what we were all cheering for? For them to be number one, the most important of the people. Guess what? Jordan was not number one, ever, the entire time, except for the relay, which the other three girls were faster than her. She was not the most important person. But we try to do that with our kids. We go, kids, come on, climb that ladder, get higher, you can be the best, you can be great, Uh, do whatever you can, get good grades, make everything happy, make mommy and daddy proud. And sometimes what we do is we honestly crush our kids when we do that. How do I know this? 1966, they did a study on the number of kids who had a GPA of an A or an A-. minus. It was 19%. Okay, Anybody want to take a guess when they did this again in 2013, how many kids had a GPA of an A or A-? minus? 63%. of the kids had, now some of you are like, man, I wish my kid would have done that, you know. But you know what that percentage of increase was? Over 150%. But let me ask you this. Do you think the happiness of our kids has increased 150% since 1966? No. You know the things that I hear from kids often? Man, Chris, I... I feel like I'm a failure that I'm not quite meeting up to my parents' expectations. I'm afraid of being rejected, but I'm even more afraid of telling anyone that I would have that kind of self-esteem. I feel so tired, but I don't want to tell anyone that I'm tired because I'm doing all this stuff all the time because people will think I'm a wimp. Folks, we are constantly climbing Ladders. And it might be success or recognition or comfort or some relationship that you're in, but we just keep trying to climb and to climb and to climb. And those things are things that we put on the top rung. We put on the top success or comfort or impression. And you know what leads to things sometimes? Things like addictions and problems and other things that we put on the top rung and we just keep trying to climb to the top. Now the Bible diagnoses what this is, the human condition of what it is. It's a problem that the Bible calls a three-letter word sin. Now we don't like to talk about sin in our culture very much. We don't like to to. To get connected to it. And the idea of sin folks though. Is not that you've broken some rule. It is not that you haven't done something. That a religious group says you should do. But the problem with sin. Is sin is putting the wrong thing. At the top of your ladder. Sin is putting the wrong thing. At the top of the ladder. A great uh, pastor on the East Coast named Tim Keller uh, says this about sin. Sin is taking a good thing, being successful, or building a relationship, whatever, and making it the ultimate thing. Because it will destroy you. It will enslave you if you put something else at the top of the rung the top of the ladder. One of the problems with me is that sometimes sin gets inside of me and I don't even know it's there. Sometimes things happen where it gets within me and it messes up my life and I don't even know that it's there. For most of my life, I have never worn a belt. Never wore a belt ever. No belt whatsoever. And this past year, uh, one of the goals I had was I wanted to lose some weight because uh, when I run, I put a lot of pressure and my body was breaking down. So I lost uh, 10 pounds. And a couple of months ago, uh, I was up here and I started doing this. And I did this for two months straight and no, no none of you said anything. I'm doing this all the time and people are watching and nobody would say anything because I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't have a belt, so I kept doing that. And then there was a guy who walked up to me one day and he said, do get a belt. No one wants to see you keep pulling up your pants all the time. Now, I didn't think he came across very well. So I went home to my loving wife thinking that, you know, she'll let me know if this is really an issue or not. And so I go back to her and I go, hey, honey, um, I don't know if you've noticed this or or not, but someone told me today that I'm always like pulling my pants up all over the place. She goes, oh, yeah, you need to stop doing that. It looks horrible. Don't do it again. Get about. So see what I got. I'm the only person who didn't realize I was pulling my pants up all the time in the middle of trying to teach all of you. So from now on, if there's any weird thing that happens, like if I get spit on the corners of my you know, mouth or I look different or there's something sticking up, don't let me just keep doing it. Tell me I need help. Now, folks, sin happens. Sin happens. And often, I'm likely to not know it. Now, sometimes I know the sins that I commit, and then I feel uh, you know, some kind of guilt or I feel uh, some kind of shame. But there are some things within me, things like arrogance, self-centeredness, pride, greed, that sometimes I don't know it's there. And it's so important... For someone to call it out in me. The psalmist put it this way. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Only God, folks. Only God knows everything about you and those deep-seated sins in your life that you keep to yourself. Now... This is what I've noticed in my life. I can look at you and I can pick out your sin. Oh, man, I I see it in you. But sometimes when I have to look at myself, I don't see it in the same way. One night I had a, a dream that I went to heaven. And when I got to heaven, I noticed that there were all these hallways in heaven. And on each of these walls, there were these objects that kind of looked like a clock. I thought it was kind of strange because underneath all of these clocks were someone's name. And I'm like, what's that about? And so I go to St. Peter and I say, hey, uh, what's up with these clock looking things? And everyone has a name and I see them tick every once in a while. And he said, well, those are our sinometers. I said, sinometers, huh? He's like, yeah, every time you sin, there is a tick to it. And we have. Every single human being's centimeter here. So I was like, huh. So I start looking around a little bit. And all of a sudden, I notice Emily Scoglin's name on (laughs) one. Who did our announcements today. She's our small group coordinator. And I sat there for a little bit. And 30 seconds went by. And then all of a sudden, tick. Like, ah, okay. But then I waited. And it was like only 20 seconds. And it ticked again. And it was a little bit disturbing. I got to tell you. And uh, so I start looking around, and then I see Derek Young's name, who led worship today. I looked at his, and he didn't last 30 seconds. He only lasted 10. And it was just like tick. And uh, then five seconds later, it just like ticked again. So I'm like, huh? It's my staff. They're kind of messed up a little bit. So I'm like, oh, my wife. I'm sure there's up there. So I go to hers, and then all of a sudden I look at hers, and it's like tick, 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 tick. All the way around. I'm like, wow, what's going on? I'm looking through all of these hallways, and... You know, looking at all these centimeters and and I can't find mine. I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I am a pastor and uh, I have finally gotten to the point where I must just not sin. So I go up to St. Peter and I ask him, I said, well, I looked at all these names. I couldn't find mine. So have I overcome sin? Like, have I really done that? And he said, are you kidding me? He said, "Uh, yours is in our office. We use it as a fan. Folks, who can discern their hidden faults? Who knows? Who can do that? Who has any idea? I mean, we can see it in other people. We just have a really hard time seeing it in ourselves. Because sin, again folks, is not breaking the rules. It's not... Not doing something that religion says. It is simply putting something at the top of the ladder that shouldn't go there. It's climbing the wrong ladder. Sometimes we just pick the wrong ladder to climb and we start climbing it and we want to get to the top and it might be success or comfort or a relationship or whatever that is, but that becomes our ladder. You know, when I look back on my life, I was thinking about it this week, that I think the ladder that I chose from a very early age was the ladder of success. I wanted to be successful. And I did some things to get to that point. One of those things is that I cheated on tests, both in high school. In college, I remember getting an underground test that I paid for so that I could get an A in microeconomics. I was a Christ follower, but I felt bad, but I did it. I would lie often within sports games. I remember one time playing Euchre. It's just Euchre. And I I had a card that I kept to myself because I wanted to win so bad. I wanted to be successful. When we started the church, there were some people that I wanted to to be impressed by me, and so uh, I connected with them, and when they would ever talk about someone else, I would jump right into the gossip and talk about them as well because I wanted to have a good impression to whoever that was. Now, folks, the reality is there are things that I know that I still feel shame for and guilt for where I cheated and lied and gossiped. But folks, there are times in which I've lied and cheated and gossiped before that I never really felt bad about because it never seemed to me like it was a sin. I, I never got caught. No one ever noticed. And yet I realize one day that I will stand before a holy, perfect, all-knowing God and He will know everything. He will know every single thing thing, even the hidden things. And that's the reality of who I am. And that's the reality of who you guys are. Folks, so many of us think that we have to climb and earn our way to grace. That if we just do enough good things if we're a nice person if we go to church if we read our bible if we pray we get in on god's good side and we keep climbing up the ladder to try to receive that but if you're thinking that if that's in your mind that you have to earn your way to god i want you to know this morning that you're wrong there are true two truths about grace and i want to give them to you back to back they'll stay on the screen for a while but here they are the first one is this Grace is not a ladder that I climb up. Grace is not a ladder that I climb up. Grace is a ladder Jesus climbs down. Grace is a ladder that Jesus climbs down. Jesus comes and says, I forgive you of all of your sins. I want you to have a new start. I want you to have a purpose for your life. I want you to have meaning for your life, life beyond death. And it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free to you because God says there's nothing you can do to make you love me more. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I simply love you because I'm a loving God. You know, there are several stories in the Bible in which Jesus tries to describe this concept of grace, but maybe My favorite story is when he tells this parable, which is simply a story about a banquet, and he compares the kingdom of God to a banquet of people who are invited who did not earn their way. They should have never been on the list. They were not good enough to get invited to the banquet, and yet they were. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, kind of gives us a contemporary version of this. If you haven't read this book Uh, I'd strongly encourage you to do so. Um, But he gives us a contemporary version of this taking place in Boston. And I thought we might just have a little story time. Okay? Just have a little story time. So here's the story. It took place in 1990. And here's the story. In June of 1990, a most unusual wedding banquet took place. An engaged couple went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and ordered a meal. The two of them poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, pointed to pictures of flower arrangements they liked. Both had expensive tastes, and the bill came to be $13,000. So that was in 1990. So if you, uh, inflation, everything else, probably $50,000 wedding, maybe more. After leaving a check for half of the amount as a down payment, the couple went home to flip through the book of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to be hit or s- supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. "I'm just not so sure about this. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little bit longer." When his angry fiance returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, The events manager could not have been more understanding. Honey, the same thing happened to me. Don't worry about it, she said. And she told her a story of her own broken engagement. But then she said, about the refund, I got some bad news. The contract is binding. You're entitled to pay the $13,000 back. You have two options. Forfeit the rest of your down payment, and we'll take just half of it, or go ahead And have the banquet. I'm really sorry. I really am. It seemed crazy. But this jilted bride thought about it. And The more she thought about it. She liked the idea of just throwing a party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you. But just a big blowout. Ten years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had gotten back on her feet. Found a good job. Set aside a little nest egg. And now... She had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. So it was in June of 1990 of the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston that they had a party that the city had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. Isn't that great? I love that. And sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. In that warm summer night, people who were used to peeling off half-gnawed pizza off a cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up with crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard street life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped on champagne, ate chocolate cake, and danced to the big band melodies late into the night. Folks, that's grace. That's grace. And God says he wants to give that to everyone. To everyone here and everyone you know. You can't earn it. You can't accomplish it by your good works. You can't justify your own existence. You don't have to. Paul put it this way. He said it is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? What's it say? Who? No one. Now, Scripture tells us that the primary expression of God's grace through Jesus comes to us, not when we climb the ladder, but when Jesus climbed onto the cross. He, He did it willingly, right? He wasn't forced to do it. He climbed onto the cross to take on our sin. You know, a lot of times people wonder about this cross. What does the cross mean? Well, there's two kind of beams to it. There's this vertical beam and then this, this horizontal beam. And the vertical one represents our relationship with God. And one of the things the Bible teaches is that because I'm a sinner, and I told you earlier I'm also a cheater and a liar and a gossiper, that because I'm those kind of things, I kind of have a debt with God. And the penalty for my debt is death. That's what the Bible says. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is, what's it say? Death. death. My sin leads to death. I, I can't repay that sin. A couple years ago, uh, I invited a guy out to lunch. He was new to our church and uh, just had a good relationship and uh, said, hey, you want to come to lunch sometime? And Uh, he said, sure. And so we went to lunch and, uh, they served us. Everything was great. And then they brought the bill. And since I had invited him, I wanted to pay for it. So I picked up the bill and, uh, I started looking for my wallet in my coat and I couldn't find my wallet. And all of a sudden I had remembered, I had left it on the bookcase. And I'm stuck now with this person that I invited to lunch who was new to the church and I was going to have to come clean and so I turned to him I said man I don't do this but I'm sorry but I left my wallet at home and and I can't pay for this I might be able to get you know Applebee's to let me go home and get it but and he's like oh don't worry about it Chris he's like it's on me Don't you love that expression it's on me. It's on me. Now, that meal was not free for him. It was free for me. But who had to pay for it? He did. It was free to me, but but he had to pay for it. Now, let's just imagine that I call him up the next day, and I'm like, hey, I uh, just wanted to know if you wanted to go to lunch. And we go to lunch again, and we sit there, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, The bill comes, and I go, hey, man, guess what? Left my wallet again. Just left it at home, sorry. He's like, oh, okay, it's on me. And let's just say that every single day I call him and invite him, and every single day we go to lunch, and every single day I go, hey, man, I lost my wallet. And 365 times he pays my lunch. Now, just by the way, uh, October was Pastor Appreciation Month. Some of you didn't get me anything. And uh, just saying, you know, uh, 365 lunches, no problem. But let's say that I I do that day after day after day, year after year after year for decades. It would be over 3,600 lunches that he would have paid for me. Now, let's just pause for a moment and let's talk about sin. I read a study this week from a psychologist that said Americans deceive, do something deceptive 200 times a day. That the average American has 200 deceptions a day. That's just one cent. Now, I know that doesn't include anyone in this room, right? None of us ever have any deception in our life. So let's reduce it down, okay? How about half of it? 100? No, no, no. You guys are better than that. Let's take it down. Let's take it down to 50. 50? 50? No, no, no. You guys are really good. Let's take it all the way down to just 10 acts of deception in a day. Okay? so in a year, then if we did that, that would be three thousand six hundred and fifty kind of acts of deception. Let's say that you live to be 70 years old, but let's take out the first 10 years because you're a kid, you know, age of accountability. Let's just say 60 years. Even with that, at the end of that time, you would have had 200,000, over 200,000 sins of deception in your life. That's who we are. And if you live to be longer than 70, even more. So here's my question for you this morning. How am I going to stand before a holy, perfect, all-knowing God with 200,000 acts of deception? Folks, the the vertical bar here tells me that there is a debt that I owe that I cannot pay to God. And so, what did Jesus do? Jesus took the cross on himself and he took my debt. He took my death. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Jesus took my death penalty on the cross, he paid the price. And to be quite honest, I don't still fully understand that to this day. That's the vertical dimension of the cross. He paid a debt that I owed to God for me. Now this horizontal beam, I'd like you to imagine being the loving arms of Jesus that reaches out to you and covers you because the ultimate expression of God is his love. How do we know that? John 3.16, that will be up in End Zones today, says this. Let's read it out loud together. It'll come up on the side screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, for the first part of my life, I knew this verse and I knew that God forgave the sins of the world. I just wasn't so sure That God forgave me. I knew this first that he loved the world. I just wasn't so sure that he loved me because there were some things that I had done in college, especially that I thought there is no way that I, that a loving God could care for me. And so what I had to do was earn my way back up to God. I had to earn my way back up by climbing the ladder to him because I wasn't enough. I had to fly straighter, do more, be a better person. Because I knew I had offended a holy God. And I put myself through anguish to try to figure this out. Like, what's the quota? How good enough is good enough to where I could finally get to God so that Jesus' love and forgiveness could cover my sin? What is the standard that you have to climb up to to receive that? And it wasn't until I was 26 that I fully understood this concept of grace. That grace says this, it's not about me climbing up to God, but it is about the fact that Jesus climbed down and climbed onto a cross for me. Folks, God is love. That's who he is. He can't help but love. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you're at, he just wants to give love because that's who he is. And because of that, he gives this gift called grace that we do not deserve, but he gives it to us anyway. I'd like you to uh, look at a story of a friend of mine named Emily, who I got to know over the past couple of years. And at the age of 14, her dad died. But throughout the time that she had with him, there was a lot of abuse that took place. And during the formative time of her life, she just felt like she wasn't good enough because her dad would say that. And so she just kept thinking that if I just climbed up a ladder, if I did enough good things, that maybe my dad would care for me and maybe even God would. But she kept climbing and climbing and climbing and it just wasn't enough. Even after he had died. And she found out that it wasn't that I couldn't be good enough. I wasn't enough. And then to make matters worse, after her dad died, her aunt was the executor of the estate. And they took the home, she took the home that she lived in, kept it for herself, um, and embezzled many possessions and money away from her and left Emily with nothing at the age of 18. And I'd like you to listen to how God's grace saved her life and how she was able to even extend that grace then to her aunt. Let's take a look. Uh, My
1: dad um August 2008, he passed away from colon cancer. Throughout my childhood, up to my dad passing away, um, there was a lot of emotional abuse and a lot of anger towards my mom, my brother, and me, and I felt like I became more angry at him versus this is not how a relationship should be, so it affected me pretty Hard and I felt like I wasn't good enough throughout my life but after my dad passed away um, my aunt took my mom's house away from us where we grew up it was usually hurt because she just took that away from me my brother and took all the money that my dad had away from me my mom and my brother after my dad passed away, there was my faith, I actually found my faith in that, and actually, through passing, I became stronger in my faith. So I didn't really lose it. I learned what faith meant to me, and it just made me stronger. God's grace, I found it throughout my life, through all the trials I've went through, and I felt like God's grace stepped in because he gave me a purpose of, I know everything's gonna be okay. My good friend Ellie got me motivated to go and she taught me what the jar is, and I really wanted to go, so she helped me find my way to the jar. I was never baptized when I was little, so going going back to the jar constantly consistently, um, I really wanted to get baptized to be closer to him and learn more about him and what he's about so my aunt all the Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff was just really hard because I was mad at her and I was angry and she was trying to act like everything was okay but it was really hurtful so I found grace to forgive her I haven't heard from her but I wrote her a letter and I forgave her before I got baptized so God's grace honestly means everything to me because it saved my life
0: know, I, lo- I love what Emily said. God's grace saved my life. Because for, so much of her life, she felt like she had to just keep on climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing because she wasn't good enough and she tried to earn her way and she couldn't. And then the death of her dad came and she was left alone and she wondered, we sang about it earlier, is there a good, good father that's present that would love me as is? And Jesus climbed down to earth to honor his Father and to give us life. And Emily's life was saved by grace. So my question for you this morning is, what about you? What about you? What ladder do you keep trying to climb up to get to the top of Maybe you've gone to church, maybe you've done the whole thing, but you've never really made that commitment of grace. And so are you finally at a point where you're like, no, I'm tired of climbing. I'm just so tired of climbing that you're willing to turn to the cross and say, Jesus, I know that you came down. For me. And today, God, I receive your forgiveness and your love and your grace into my life. A fear that I don't have to have after this life is over, that I can have new life with you because you climbed down for me. And if that's you today, grace can happen. You can receive that grace today, it can happen to you. Let's stand for closing prayer. And I thought the way we would close is simply by giving you a moment with God. So if you could uh, close your eyes, bow your head, just kind of uh, have a moment with God. And as you take a moment to reflect, I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Have I received God's grace? Ask yourself, have have I received God's grace? I mean, maybe you always thought that you had to just keep climbing to earn a relationship with God you had to fly straighter, work harder, think of ways to please him. And today is the first time that you've heard the message that it's not about earning my way to God, climbing a ladder to him, but that he actually climbed down to me and you could have a relationship with him today. so if you're ready to just say, I'm I'm tired of climbing, I want to stop climbing today and to allow Jesus to come down and to give you his grace. If you're ready to say, Jesus, I don't know everything, but I know I've messed up in some ways. I need your forgiveness in my life. I need a new start. I want to have life after this life in heaven. I want you in my life. I I want to receive your grace today. And I'm going to invite you in a prayer. And maybe it'll be the first time that you ever prayed this prayer or really believed this prayer. But here at the JAR, none of us pray alone. We always pray together. So I'd like you to just repeat after me this prayer, but we'll pray it in unison together. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving me your grace. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's go crazy for everybody who prayed that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God. And uh, before you leave today, uh, back in the back corner, uh, we'd love for you to go there and uh, get a Bible. Uh, Abby's back there. We'd love to encourage you. And uh, happy Thanksgiving. But the best way we can thank God right now is not by leaving. But it's about honoring Him with the amazing grace. So let's put our hands together, clap, and uh, let's uh, sing about God's grace. Here we go.
2: Worthy is the king, conquer the grave. Worthy is the man who was slain. Worthy is the king, conquer the grave.
0: So I was like, man, I could do this all day. Because there's the truth, folks. When grace comes into your life, you want to do it all day. And one day in heaven, that's all we'll do. And so uh, live in grace this week. Know that grace happens to you. You're loved in this place. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks.